0: Amen. Well, let's uh, look into the Scriptures tonight, shall we? Let's open our Bibles to Exodus and chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. We've been looking at the names of God this month. All this year, uh, we've been trying to bring one message every month on the topic of God to get to know Him. We've looked at um, the love of God. We've looked at the... uh, Uh, The voice of God, we've looked at um, different qualities of God approximately once a month. Now in this last month, we're taking the Wednesdays and we're looking at the names of God. And so uh, we're going to um, look tonight at uh, the name Jehovah. We'll be looking at that and we'll be in Exodus chapter 6. Once more, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we adore you so much and the more we get to know about you the more we love you and appreciate you. You're so good to us and it's wonderful to know that there is none beside you. There's not none of the uh, contraptions of, of man or of, of uh, devil can uh, come anywhere close to you. You're so amazing and wonderful. All of the uh, pagan deities of all of the World religions, they fall utterly flat, far, far, far short of who and what you are. Our Father, please help us to see that again tonight. Help us to get to know you more by getting to know your name. And so bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, as you know, we've been hard at work these last weeks here studying the names of God. Whereas um, we tend to just go by one name. Sometimes it'll be an abbreviated name. Um, You know, uh, James can be abbreviated to Jim, that sort of thing. Uh, We tend to just kind of go by one name. God cannot. You say, why is that? Because he is so beyond um, one word. You cannot uh, encapsulate God in one word. It can't be done. He, uh, he is too big. You you can't put him in a bottle. Um, you have to uh, have these different names in order to uh, understand something uh, about him. He's so vast and great. So no one name implies the totality of God, and it's so necessary for us to have these different names that he gives us himself in Scripture. Various names for God, each implying a different aspect. Uh, or facet of his uh, life and behavior. Um, We looked at the uh, the name Elohim. Do you have your notes on that? What does that mean? Who can say Elohim? Anyone? Don't let the Bible college guys answer it. What do they know? Huh? The rest of us normal people. What does Elohim mean? You have it written down? Okay, if I give it to you again, would you write it down? Yes? Okay. It's the strong one. The putter forth of power. He's a powerful God. He's the God who has all the power as Elohim. Another name that we studied was Adonai. Adonai. Now, do you remember what that means? What? Can't hear you. It's a long distance up here. Have to shout louder. A little louder. Owner. Hmm. Master. Yes. Hmm. Lord. Supreme Lord. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. All of that is true. That's the whole idea of Adonai. Remember that uh, Elohim and Adonai are plurals. And then last Wednesday, we studied about Shaddai. Shaddai. And what does uh, Shaddai mean? Hmm? What, what aspect? You have to speak loud, I'm sorry. Provider, yep. Provider. It's probably an all-around good word, I suppose, provider. A nourisher. Remember the root word of Shaddai? And it's likened unto a a mother with her brand-new child, and everything the child needs will be found with the mother. And this is how God is toward us, everything we need. And so uh, tonight we're looking at... um, this name Jehovah, the translators of our King James Bible respected that name. And they translated it in the Old Testament all with capitals. So you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You know that you're dealing with Jehovah. It's the name Jehovah. Sometimes they would, um, they would put the word God all in capitals. Same thing. The Hebrew behind that would be Jehovah. Now this name Jehovah occurs more than any other name for God, being used well over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. The word Jehovah actually comes from a verb, to be, like I am, you are, he, she, it is. In our Bible college, the Greek students are learning uh, the verb to be, ime, ise, ine, Um, basically meaning I am, you are, he, she, it is, and Jehovah is based on this verb to be. Now you say, well, what does that mean? Um, Essentially, it means the self-existent one. That's the idea. He's always been, he always will be. Say, how can that be? Because he's self-existent. He does not need to depend on anything else. Your life, my life we need to depend on other things, don't we? Name me one thing we need to depend on in order to keep living. Air, what's another thing? Water, what's another thing? Food, yeah, those are kind of important, aren't they? Now we have other needs too, what are they? Starts with an S, and everyone gets too much of it. Sleep, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, we've got other needs as well. We, uh, we need human company. Mm-hmm. Something else we need? What else do we need? Clothing, Clothing. yeah. We die of hypothermia, right? Uh, we probably need some fire in there somewhere, maybe to possibly cook some food and stay warm. But you get the idea. We are not self-existent. We need all these other things. God doesn't need these things. He is totally self-existent. His name reflects that. The verb to be. He's always been. He always will be. Now, if you, um, if you look here at uh, chapter 6... Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh? For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Notice, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What's the Hebrew word behind that word Lord? Say it. Jehovah, right. Uh, Verse 3, And I appeared unto Abraham... Uh, that being back in Genesis 32 and uh, unto Isaac, um, and uh, unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, but by my name, Jehovah was I not known to them. So you have this tremendous revelation of himself, Jehovah. Now just turn back two pages to chapter three chapter 3, you've got God explaining to Moses um, who he is. Moses, of course, is in the wilderness. He um, he sees the, uh, the bush on fire, and he goes near to see what this is all about, because the thing won't stop burning. It's like one of those... Um, Comic characters, the Burning Man, or something—you know—that he just keeps burning. He throws fireballs at the bad guys and stuff, and he's just all in flame. That's that's some Johnny Flame. I, did I get it right? Did I get that one right, Johnny Flame? No. Well, see, one of someone, yeah, some fantastic guy. So anyhow, uh, that's what Moses saw: was a fantastic bush, and uh, one of the four bushes one of them just died in fact uh, had their funeral today i believe george h w bush but this is the original bush though genesis chapter 3 and so it's burning and burning and burning and moses thinking when is that thing going to burn up and it never does and so he says i'm going to go investigate and when he goes then god says put off thy shoes from off thy feet there it's holy ground do you have a little patch of holy ground at home? Your little prayer closet? Do you ever get alone with God and take your, your shoes off or your slippers off? Do you ever enter into God's presence with a sense of sacredness and holiness? It's only a suggestion, folks. When I get alone with God and I'm ready to, to pray, that's what I like to do. I like to take my shoes off. And I'll tell you something else I like to No, I won't. I'll save that for another day another little funny habit I have but you need a few funny little habits right just to make it special for you your special time alone with God Moses was about to have one a special time alone with God and so we come down here to verse 13 Moses said unto God behold when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you and they shall say to me what is his name what shall I say unto them And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Say those words out loud with me. I am that I am. Say it once more. I am that I am. That's the basis of Jehovah right there. That's the verb to be. I am that I am. And so this gives us the idea of the self-existent one. There's three or four things I want to say tonight uh, on the subject of Jehovah. could say many more things, but time does not allow. Number one, Jehovah is the self-existent one. Now, this is also known as the personal name of God, Jehovah. He needs nothing from anyone. He can get alone just fine, all on his own. Thank you very much. To prove that, let's go to Psalm 50. Let's go there. Psalm fifty Psalm fifty um, Let's read together 10, 11, and 12. And you can keep your seats, but let's read those three verses out together, uh, all together in verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountain and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. So anything that God needs... Or God wants, he only has to speak the word and it's his. Being self-existent means that no one can overpower him. He cannot be overpowered, otherwise he would not be self-existent. He would cease to be self-existent. Being self-existent means that he's beyond the barriers of time and space. He doesn't grow old like we do. He doesn't grow feeble like we do. He's beyond all of that. He is totally self-existent. We really need to get a concept of who God is. We really do. So why does a self-existent God want to have anything to do with a problem called the human race? And the answer is given to us in John 3.16. For God so loved this lousy human race. For God so loved the world. He's a God of love is what he is. This is the only answer we have, and we only have the answer because God tells us it's the answer. The more we get to know people, the more we get to know human nature, the more we get to know our own fallen human nature, the more we have to be honest with God and say, I don't know why you love me, Lord. There's nothing really lovable within me. If ever we get to the point of thinking, well, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good stuff, I'm, you know, I look good, I talk good, I walk right, I smell right, you know, everything about me is just, you know, right bang on, I'm, I, I'm on the up and coming, boy, oh boy, watch out world, here I come. Boy, we're on thin ice. Pride goeth before a what? A fall, yeah. And uh, we're already into winter now, aren't we? We're beyond fall, wow, Whew. we're right into winter. Pride goeth beyond the fall. Before a fall, a little bit of humor there. Poor humor. Throw that stuff out. Well, God is love. He's a God of love, and He not only created us, but He also wants to provide for us. And that actually brings us to point number two about Jehovah, uh, because He takes this this name. It's linked together. Listen to this: Jehovah Jireh. Have you ever heard that? How many have ever heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay, good. No, you all just heard it now. So let's go back to uh, Genesis chapter twenty-two. Genesis chapter 22. And let's look at Jehovah Jireh. Wow, what an amazing story. The story here, Abraham was maybe 116 years old. He'd been saved maybe 40 years. And um, we've got his son, um, Isaac, was probably 16, something like that. We don't know for sure, but somewhere maybe around that. And so God says to him, take now thy son, in verse 2, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. It's interesting, isn't it, that God had to include that. He just didn't say, take thy son Isaac and get thee into the land of Moriah. He had to really kind of rub it in. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah, as if Abraham said, yeah, I forgot, he's my only, yeah, no, God said it for the emphasis. And then he went on, he didn't stop there, he says, whom thou lovest. Oh, yeah, all right, I know the one you mean. And then go into this land that I'll show you and offer him there as a sacrifice to me. It's like God was rubbing it in, really testing him. Boy, that must have been a test. You and I will never go through that test. God will never put you through that test. Abraham was the only man in the whole Bible that God ever put through that test. And even then, God stopped him before the knife came down. Remember that? And then God had a provision. And so as we get down in the chapter here, we find it in verse 11, the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad. That's why we know that he wasn't a growing man. Otherwise, he'd be called the young man. He's a lad, and so he would still probably be in his teens. I know there's no teenager who wants to be called a lad, right? I know that. But anyhow, that's what the angel said. Neither do thou uh, anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. He could have added the words, whom thou lovest, but I think he knew that. And so verse 13, Abraham looked up and behold, there's a ram caught in the thicket. A ram is a male sheep. Male sheep have horns that can sometimes grow, you know, quite, quite large. And one must have escaped from someone's flock. It, it happens. They're out there grazing, and you know, farmer or the shepherd goes out and counts them. And all there used to be a hundred, now there's only 99. And he tried looking, couldn't find it. A wolf must have got it. A bear must have got it. A lion must have got it. Well, this guy, this sheep here wandered up the side of the mountain, is what he did. And we figured it was up there where um, uh, the temple was built. You know, uh, what is it? Uh, 2,000 years later. Or no, less than that. What am I talking about? No, in uh, Solomon's day. So that would have been uh, five, six hundred years later. Uh, so anyhow, here he's up there and he sees the ram caught in the thicket by its horns. It couldn't get out, couldn't get out. And as Abraham's getting closer, you know, the ram's probably shaking. Abraham just grabs the thing and brings it over. And verse 14, and Abraham called on the, na- called the name of the, that place. Say it out loud with me. Here we go. Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Uh, the idea is the provider. Jehovah is more than just the self-existent one. Here he's linked together with Jireh. And so we have the provider. The idea of Jireh actually means to see or to, uh, to foresee, like a prophet. The prophet would foresee um, God always provides when the time comes. Story of a father who was going to take a little train ride with his daughter years ago. And so they're in the car driving to the train station and she's starting to get a little concerned. She says, Daddy, yes, dear. You know, I have no ticket for that train. Well, that's all right, dear. Uh, There'll there'll be one there, you know, when we, we get there. And so she said, all right, and she was still very concerned. And so they're driving, and they get there, and they park the car, and they get out. Daddy, I still don't have a ticket. We're here. You said one would be here, and we're here, and I don't have a ticket. Maybe they won't let us on. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure they will. And so uh, they get up there to the the gate. There's a lot of people. And... Um, they uh, actually uh, get up on the train and sit down, and she's really nervous now. Daddy, I don't see the ticket anywhere. Oh, it'll show up, honey, don't worry. And the conductor came, and tickets, please, tickets, please. And uh, he, she's watching him come down, you know, tickets. He punches the ticket, punches the ticket, and he's getting closer, and she's getting, you know, f- freaked to hear a bit. And, and honey, he said, Dad, it's all right it'll be fine. And so finally when the conductor came, Dad reached in his pocket and took out two tickets. And just at the time when they needed it, there they were. And you know something? That's how God provides. Oftentimes it's not well in advance. It's right at the last moment. Boy, does that ever do a number on your faith, huh? And you think, Oh, I'm going to die this time. And right at the right moment, God provides. God provided for me many years ago when I was a single man, and I had driven, I was living in Ottawa, and I drove up to a little town called Smith's Falls. And I remember coming back, and it was in the wintertime, and it snowed that afternoon, it was on a Sunday, and the roads were kind of snowy, and I was driving too fast. Don't tell anyone this, okay? This is a secret story, I'm only telling you. And I had a great big boat of a car, one of those big old uh, 1967 big boats, you know. The thing drove like a dream. It was a Galaxy 500. Brother Ernie, did you ever own a Galaxy 500? Lucky you. <laughs> Bigger? <laughs> well, the Galaxy was, uh, Galaxy 500, I think it cost me 500 bucks, which was about all the money I had in the world. Anyhow, coming back, and I remember I turned off the highway. And I looked up, and through the snow I could just see this little flashing yellow light. I said, ah, that's a four-way. It flashes amber one way and red the other. So the foot goes down on the gas pedal. <clears throat> I had to keep my high beams on low because on high beams it would, it would flash, it would off the snow. If you've ever driven in snow, and falling snow, you can't use your high beams because it reflects back in your eyes, so you have to drive with low beams on. You can't see that far ahead. And as I got up closer, to this flashing light, I I could see it wasn't a crossroad; It was a 90-degree hairpin turn and a big fence there and a big ravine or a cliff or something on the other side. And I remember thinking, you know, instinctively, I just turned the wheel to the right, and you know, the wheels turned, but the car kept going straight. It was just snow plowing right through. And I remember thinking, this is it. This is the end of the road. I'm either going to wake up in heaven or wake up in the hospital, one of the two. And I had those thoughts go through my head. And as I got right up there to the flashing light, uh, to this day I haven't a clue how this happened, but there was a dry spot in the pavement the Lord provided. Jehovah Jireh provided a dry spot in the pavement. My wheels, which were already turned to the right, I was just going (laughs) my wheels caught and spun the whole car to the right and I I didn't know what was happening. It was just kind of a ready for the the impact. Then suddenly I'm facing this way. And it took me a second. I think the Holy Spirit had to slap me or something so that I, oh, turn the wheel this way, turn the wheel that way until I I got the car to a stop. My whole heart, boom, 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 like that. And oh, I I had a a moment of thanks to the Lord. Boy, I cried. It was wonderful, God's provision. I wonder if that even comes close, anywhere near how Abraham must have felt when he saw what God provided the ram instead of his son, how must Abraham have felt? You know, if I was overjoyed that my life was spared, how much more, you know, a thousand times more was Abraham overjoyed because his son, his only son whom he loved was spared. Hmm? Jehovah Jireh. Boy, you know, sometimes we wonder and we, the old devil's there to tempt us. Oh, God's not going to get you out of this one. Oh, no, no, no. You haven't lived a perfect life. You made promises you haven't kept. And now you're going to pay for it, buddy. Now the end is here. Tell you what, curse God and die. Say, where have you heard that before? Hmm, yeah. Sounds like wonderful advice, doesn't it? From the devil. Anyhow, right at the last moment, God provided absolutely. All through the Bible, we see where God provides for man's need. He gave bread in the wilderness. He gave water from the rock. He gave food in time of famine. He gave a stone and a sling for victory over the Philistines. He gave healing from diseases. He gave money to pay off debts and on and on the list goes. Listen to this list of scriptures that God gives us. Luke 12.24, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Consider Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Consider 2 Corinthians nine eight and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency and all things may abound unto every good work. Consider 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The thought of Jehovah-Jireh being the great provider should be a powerful move on your heart. In fact, the truth of Jehovah-Jireh was so powerful upon the heart of a pastor songwriter named Don Moen that he wrote the following song. Jehovah-Jireh, my provider, His grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Jehovah-Jireh, my provider, His grace is sufficient for me. There's more words to the song, but you get the idea. Missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, had complete trust in God's faithfulness. In Hudson Taylor's own handwriting, in his diary, he wrote these words. Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect he will send three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack for God's supply. Isn't that exciting? Wow, we can learn something from these men and women who really walked with God. There's lessons there for us. The provisions, the gifts for us by Almighty God are absolutely legendary. But I want to remind you that His greatest provision for you and I is His free gift of salvation found only in Jesus Christ. Now this brings us now to the third point tonight. Jehovah is a sacred name. Not only is Jehovah the self-existent one, not only is Jehovah linked up with Jireh, the provider but we learn that Jehovah is a sacred name. You know, these days not much is sacred, and it's so sad, isn't it, that uh, even a lot of Christian people don't realize the sacredness. And uh, in some Christian circles, God is referred to as as a good old ten four buddy, slap on the back, Jack. Hey, how you doing, bud? And that's almost how they refer to him. In many churches, you know, they, uh, they have a, you know, applause for this and applause for that. And then, hey, let's give the Lord a big round of applause. And they, they do that kind of thing. And I think that that is not right. I don't think that belongs in the house of the Lord. That's not how we would treat the queen. Hmm? We wouldn't have the queen, you know, in all her royal dignity, uh, sitting there with all of her entourage and all of the royal guards and so on, the dignitaries from around the world, and someone sings, and we have a you know, round of applause, you know, for who just sang, and hey, everyone, let's just have a round of applause for the queen here. It just kind of doesn't, you know, it kind of brings her down. And so we don't want to bring God down, you know, to someone whom we just applaud like an entertainer. That's not right. But there is so much unsacredness amongst Christians today. I know the world is totally unsacred. This name of God, Jehovah, became so sacred to the Old Testament saints that in their copies of the Old Testament scriptures, they actually removed the vowels, leaving four consonants. We would know them as Y-H-W-H, and it's often pronounced Yahweh. I know that there's different schools of thought on this. I understand that too. I study it too. But this Yahweh, these four letters became known as the tetragrammaton. The tetragrammaton, the word tetra is Greek. It means four. Grammaton is also a Greek word, and it means something written down or, or a word, something written. And so Tetragrammaton refers to a word of four letters, and that's how we get the YHWH, the Yahweh. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, they would substitute um, this Jehovah, this Yahweh, for uh, kurios, Lord. Um, You're there in Genesis. Let's just go over to Exodus, shall we? Exodus. I, I just want to point this out just because I think it's important for us. Exodus chapter 20. All right, uh, Exodus 20. Um, read with me, please, verse 7. Read out loud. Here we go. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Do you believe that commandment is still in effect today? I sure do. I sure do. We have people taking the Lord's name in vain all the time, all the time. And um, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right for the lost to do it, and I sure don't think it's right for the saved to do it. And um, what God here is pointing out is the sacredness of His name, the preciousness of His name. Do you believe that God's name is precious? If you do, then you're forced to believe the truth of Philippians 2:9, wherefore God hath also hath highly exalted Him, meaning Jesus, and hath given Him a name which is above every name. It goes on to say that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You bow your knee. You ever bow your knee? When you pray, you bow your knee. That's why I think it's a good idea when we go to prayer as a church, we bow the knee. I think that's important that we get on our knees. We humble ourselves before the Lord. We show him by bowing the knee. We show him that he is the boss. He is the Lord. We are his subjects. So it's just a thought there. There is no higher name, I believe, than you can, that you could be called by than a Christian. I think that that is And yet, at one time, it was a derogatory term. Back in the uh, first century, in the city of Antioch, the believers were first called Christians there. And they weren't called Christians by other Christians. They were called Christians by the world. The unsaved wicked looked at those believers in Jesus. Up to then, they'd been known as followers of the way. Followers of the way. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way. And that's what the Christians were telling others. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm following Jesus. Oh, you're a follower of the way. They were followers of the way. But then in Antioch, they started being called Christians, little Christs, Christian, Christians, little Christs. And I know it's a derogatory term in the eyes of the world, at least it was anyhow, but... uh, I think that it's one of the greatest names that you and I can be called by because it's like we're being called by his name, isn't it? It's something interesting to think about. So are you living like a Christian should? This brings us to our last point tonight. And this may be the very best reason for the name of Jehovah. Now, so far we've looked at Jehovah, the self-existent one. And just understand this, folks. There is absolutely nothing he needs. He has everything. And for all eternity, up until when he said, let there be light, and he started to create the world, right? Up until that point, which is only some six or 7,000 years ago, that's it. It's not billions of years. Don't believe this, this Tommy Rot stuff about the world being billions of years old. It's not that at all. It's not that at all at all. It's only about six, 7,000 years old from when God first created. God created the heavens and the earth. It was about six six to seven thousand years ago. That's it. That's all. And you know that there are some men and women who refuse to come to Christ. Why? Because they struggle with the billions of years. That's why. I I know some of them. I've spoken and witnessed to some of them. And they always drag up dinosaur bones. Did you know that God, when he creates, he creates with the appearance of age? Case in point, Adam. Was Adam created as a tiny baby? Oh, Adam, what do you want, a soother? Come on, hurry up and grow up so I can make Eve for you. No, Adam was growing when he was created. Great, big, good-looking guy. And then God created Eve also, Tall, beautiful. They were both created with the appearance of age. All God's creative acts were done with the appearance of age. Interesting, isn't it? God is certainly able to do that. When God healed the the blind man, uh, when God healed the paralytic, You see, if someone uh, is not able to use their limbs, if they're paralyzed, say, from the waist down for a, a few years, and then all of a sudden an operation is done and their nerves are put back together, they still can't walk. They would require maybe six months of therapy before they'd be fully able to function and walk and sit and stand and run and jump and do ballet. It would take maybe six months. But when Jesus said, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. You see, there's the appearance of age in there also. And God is able to do that kind of thing. Isn't that something? Amazing. When he cursed the fig tree, then later, next day, the disciples saw it and it, had, it really had the appearance of age, didn't it? Man, was that thing withered. Humongous wither. So people in the world will not come to to the Lord and be saved because they're stumbling over man-made ideas of billions of years of evolution. And, and I understand that there's there's people, if they, if they heard me say this, they would put a contract out on my life. They'd say, oh, got to shut that guy up. We'll teach him something. We'll make a bullet with the appearance of age, you know, just for him. But anyhow, um, God is... Jehovah, the self-existent one. God is Jireh, the wonderful provider. And folks, he will provide needs. He really will. Number three, God, Jehovah is that sacred name that we need to show much reverence and respect to. And number four, Jehovah is also the covenant name of God the covenant name. Jehovah God enters into covenant. What's a covenant? A covenant is an agreement where God is involved. You'll find that in the scriptures, that when God is involved, it's called a covenant. When God is not involved, when there's just two men, it's an agreement. But when God gets involved, it's known as a covenant. So it's an agreement where God is involved. And he gets into covenant with his people. Now, What I'm about to tell you is different from salvation. Salvation has never changed. It's always by grace through faith. In the Old Testament, New Testament, Abraham got saved by grace. We get saved by grace. Moses got saved by grace. Getting saved has never, ever changed. But what comes after that has changed. That's the covenant part, where God enters into a covenant with his people on how they'll behave together. All right? It's like a business agreement, if you will. And so in the Old Testament, uh, essentially under Moses, there was a covenant of law. The law was not to get anyone saved. The law was how the people of God were to live for God and respond to God. It was on the basis of law. And um, they were to live the law and they failed. They failed miserably after 1,400, 1,500 years of doing it. They were nothing but failures, by and large. That's when Christ came. He brought in a new covenant. Now, we studied all this when we studied Hebrews. Remember, we spent over a year studying Hebrews. How long was that, anyhow? Was that almost two years on Hebrews? Boy, it's been so long ago now since we studied Hebrews, I've even forgotten. But it was good, wasn't it? Oh man, I was here for every one of them. (laughs) That was good stuff. However, in the New Testament, we've got a new covenant. We get saved exactly the same way as the Old Testament worthy, but our covenant is different. Now we're no longer under the covenant of law where we have to obey all of these various laws and so on. We're under grace. Now, in a nutshell, the difference is this. Uh, Law tells us what we're supposed to do. Uh, we don't have the power to do it. Grace now gives us the ability to do what we ought to do. God has removed the the dietary laws and the, uh, the priestly laws with the blood, you know, doing all of the uh, covering, uh, the atoning until Christ came. All that's been looked after. It's all been done away with. We don't need that anymore. But we still have laws of God on our heart. We do. The Ten Commandments, for example. We're still not to, we're supposed to go around taking God's name in vain. We're not supposed to go around worshiping other gods. We're not supposed to go around uh, coveting, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And these things are written on our hearts. But with grace now, we have the ability. We've got the gas in our tank to be able to, to get the, the vehicle moving. And praise the Lord, we can do that. And so we've got this marvelous covenant of grace. He's gracious to us. We're to be gracious to him and gracious for other, the, toward others around us. And Jehovah represents the, the covenant aspect of God. The Old Testament believer was to do his part under the law. The New Testament believer is to do his part under grace. Listen, in summary, we find that we have Jehovah this marvelous name used over 6,000 times. And it tells us so much about this marvelous God. He is so self-existent. He's got everything, 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 and doesn't need anyone or anything. He is a provider and loves to provide, loves to show himself strong. He'll never rebuke us for going to him with needs. That's why it's so wonderful to go and pray. And if any of us need wisdom... We're to just to ask God, listen, that giveth to all men, what's that next word? It's an adjective. Liberally and upbraideth not. What does that mean? He'll never chew you out and say, what's wrong with you, stupid? What's wrong with you? Hey, you've been down this road before. Why don't you, dummy? Why don't you just learn? Eh? He's not going to upbraid us when we go to him and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I need wisdom. I know I've been down this road before and I, sh- I should, but I don't. And Lord, please help me out. I need wisdom. I know that in my Christian life, I have proven that verse in James true so often. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That's the promise of Almighty God. Wow. Well, we have this God who loves to provide. We've got this God who's got a name so sacred, so wonderful and sacred. Let's hold his name sacred. And finally, we've got a God who is a covenant God and He actually wants to enter into agreement with us, a covenant, and He has through Christ. It's a covenant of grace. The question is, are you living your part of the grace? Are you living your part of the grace? Say, How do I do that? How can I live my part of the grace? And the answer is by living for Jesus. Live your life for Jesus the giver of grace, walk with him, talk with Jesus every day. Let's, let's reflect that grace that he has toward us. Let's reflect it back to him and to others around us. All right, let's pray now together.